0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations.
1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a technology and ethics podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Weekly Tech is brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. Each Monday, we dive into the most pressing and talked about technology stories in order to keep you up to date and equipped for the week ahead. Alongside this podcast, we also have an email newsletter version of Weekly Tech that you can subscribe to at JasonThacker.com slash Weekly Tech, where you'll receive this weekly briefing via email each Monday morning. You can also grab the links of the stories we talk about in the show notes where you subscribe to the podcast. Also, if you enjoy Weekly Tech, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you leave us a review and email me a screenshot with your address, we'll make sure to send you a limited edition Weekly Tech coffee mug as a thank you. This offer is limited to the first 50 reviewers, so make sure to leave us a review and send us that screenshot at weeklytech at ERLC.com. In this weekly tech interview, I'm joined by my friend Dr. Jamie Aiton of Wheaton College, and we talk about technology, humanitarian disasters, and the psychological aspects of the pandemic. Dr. Jamie Aiton is a disaster psychologist and disaster ministry expert. He helps others navigate mass humanitarian and personal disasters with scientific and spiritual insights. He's the founder and executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College and holds the Blanchard Chair of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership at Wheaton. Well, Dr. Aiton, thank you so much for joining us here on Weekly Tech. As we get started, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and give us a little bit about your background? Sure. Well, thanks again for having me today. And The way that I first got into this
0: work as a disaster psychologist is that I had moved to South Mississippi just six days before Hurricane Katrina hit. So I I never thought that I would end up studying disasters. But after moving to South Mississippi and getting involved just weeks after that major storm, found myself engaged in doing research and training and haven't stopped and have now been doing
1: this sort of work all over the globe. And I know you also lead the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. Can you tell us a little bit more about the institute and what type of work that you guys focus on?
0: Well, our mission here is to equip the church to prepare and care for a disaster-filled world. And I shared just moments ago about my Katrina experience, and I'll never forget standing in Biloxi, Mississippi, looking out at a large church, and one whole side had completely been gutted by the storm surge and the water, and there were trees everywhere, it looked like a bomb had gone off, and cars were scattered all over the place and boats up on shore in front of me. And as I'm looking at this church, I realized that there wasn't a place at that time that local congregations could turn to for both biblically-based and also research-based resources to be able to help guide their efforts. And so that was really the start of the idea for the Institute and then had the opportunity to come to Wheaton College a number of years later. And so nine years ago, we launched as the country's very first faith-based academic disaster research center. And we carry out our mission of equipping the church by doing research and translating those findings into resources, into our master's program that we have in humanitarian disaster leadership. We also offer a graduate trauma certificate program with our clinical mental health counseling program on campus and then we also do a lot of resource development and
1: trainings and also convene a number of conferences and summits. Oh, That's really interesting. When it comes to some of the resources that you guys put together, I know that ERLC recently partnered with you guys on some COVID-19 resources and helping to equip the local church to navigate this really trying time. What were some of the efforts and some of the resources and trainings that you guys put together specifically for the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, we actually started our
0: COVID-19 response um, back at the end end of February. So we've been doing this work for quite some time and have also done work on things like the Ebola outbreak. And so when we kind of saw what was going on globally, our team jumped into full gear. And so we were able to get a series of um, articles launched, including with facts and trends, through LifeWay on COVID preparedness, And then we were so grateful for the opportunity to collaborate with ERLC to be able to pull together a manual that was the very first kind of comprehensive manual of its kind on preparing churches for COVID-19. And so we tried to really take both that biblical approach, but also vetting the recommendations through scientific findings, both from our own research and that of others. And then another key resource that we've developed, and and actually we've developed 118 since the pandemic had started, but another key one that we developed was spiritual first aid, which is the first evidence-based disaster spiritual and emotional care intervention. And we developed it specifically for COVID-19. And it's based on 15 years of research on the needs that people most often have in the event of a crisis like this. We also led a couple of the very first online summits for COVID-19, collaborating with the National Association of Evangelicals. We had about 6,000 attend our uh, church COVID-19 summit. And then about a month or so later, we did another one on spiritual first aid,
1: which was attended by over 12,000 people. I know you have a specific interest, especially in the midst of COVID-19 and kind of the impact of technology on our lives. There's so much of our lives that have been dependent upon technology to be able to stay connected and to stay in relationships with other people, whether it's through our work, through our school, and through our communities and even our churches. Can you tell us a little bit more about how technology has been impacting and kind of in- affecting the way that we navigate these really tough seasons in our life? Yeah, technology has
0: been really such a front and center issue throughout the whole pandemic that you know, the, one of the biggest findings that we have found in study after study, disaster after different types of disasters, and in countries all around the globe, one of the findings that stayed true across all those different things has been the power and the importance of the church being able to come together and provide social and spiritual support to one another. That it's just an incredible factor for cultivating resilience. Yet here we are in the midst of a pandemic where coming together physically can actually help facilitate the spread of COVID-19. So there's been kind of that weird paradox. And technology, though, has been really a gift to allow us to rethink about how we develop and cultivate community with one another and expand who our neighbors are uh, by using technology. But at the same time, there's also been a number of pitfalls that we've encountered along the way.
1: Yeah, what are some of those pitfalls? I think often we think of a lot of the good aspects of technology, which is right, um, embracing some of those good gifts that God gives us. But what are some of the difficulties or some of the pitfalls or some of the dangers that might come along with technology that often kind of go under the surface or unnoticed?
0: Well, you know, I just recently wrote um, an op-ed for Facts and Trends where I was talking about what I referred to as the digital ministry fishbowl, that having been a former youth pastor myself um, previously before becoming a psychologist and working with a lot of pastors all over the country, I've known many who have talked about feeling burnt out where they feel like they're always on, so to speak, that people are kind of watching and there's a lot of pressure where they feel like they're always being scrutinized. But now that with the digital technology and the greater access, which can be a good thing, has also been, I think, very challenging for a lot of pastors who suddenly feel like, now I'm even on all the time, even in my own home, and even being more accessible, Which, again, that can be a positive, but when it's prolonged for the way it has been through COVID and as we look into the future that it's likely to continue to persist for a a period of time, that that's probably going to continue to be even more stressful for pastors.
1: Yeah, and through a lot of your research, specifically in the pastoral angle, because I've talked to a number of pastors who are indeed burnout. They're overwhelmed. They feel like they can't disconnect, especially during the pandemic, because they long to be with their people, to care for their people, um, but being able— Only to be able to do that digitally, Um, it does kind of that always on mentality that you talked about. What's some counsel that you've seen through your research that might be effective in helping pastors or even just everyday people like you and I to navigate some of these pitfalls of technology in this season?
0: I think a good way to navigate it is to really know kind of how you're doing in the moment. You know, so even today, um, as we were getting ready to hop on this podcast, and when I realized that our videos weren't going to be on, I actually felt a sense of relief just like, oh, this feels. You know, like I can be a little more relaxed that I don't have to make sure everything in the background, you know, is all nice and tidy looking on my bookshelf, that sort of thing. That it's okay sometimes to shut off those video screens every once in a while if you're feeling stressed. Um, It can also be good to try to set some boundaries where, in the same way that uh, if the pastor was in, you know, the the church building and might have a a specific day, or maybe they carve out a couple hours each day to do visits with people in person. Well, practice that same sort of uh, kind of discipline, but now make sure that those things are happening online or over Skype or what have you. And so I think part of the problem that a lot of pastors are running into is that they've kind of neglected a lot of the ways that they found balance in their life prior to the uh, COVID-19. So whatever those kind of things that worked for you to help you maintain healthy boundaries, try applying that um, during this time of technology. And then the other part is to know when you need to take a break. You know, so I, I spend most of my days focused on COVID and then I'm tempted as soon as my day's over to start reading the newspaper or watching the the um, news on tv or reading through social media but we know that if you start to feel kind of anxious or start to find yourself feeling irritated that too much information can actually cause overload so don't be afraid to take a break every once in a while
1: yeah early on in the pandemic i read a really insightful piece uh from the new york times talking about doom surfing uh, i don't know if you're familiar with that yeah concept, absolutely but it was I'm that- actually on a tv show called
0: doomsday caught on camera
1: right now so very familiar Oh, wow. Well, this concept of doom surfing, in case listeners aren't familiar with it, is in the midst of these seasons of kind of being overwhelmed and anxious and um, just all the stresses and anxieties of life is often we go, we turn to social media. We turn to social media and we just kind of doom surf like we're looking for the bad news and we kind of go down this rabbit hole in some sense of looking for hope. Um, And looking for peace or at least having some kind of grasp on the situation um, when often life feels out of control. And I think the role of social media – we talk a lot about the role of social media here on Weekly Tech, but also just in the wider culture about some of the positive and the negative effects even leading up to this election season uh, where people are – not only glued to our devices, but we're in many ways glued to our social media accounts, always looking for new information, always looking for what's new, what's changing, and uh, what can bring us a sense of comfort or peace or control. And I know that recently you watched a little bit of the net- new Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. I was fortunate to be able to write on a piece a few weeks ago for the Gospel Coalition uh, reviewing the documentary. But I wanted to see from your experience um, with disaster psychology and talking about these issues, especially the role of social media and technology, what are some of the things that maybe stood out to you from the documentary or even just in your research about the ways that social media is impacting and influencing us right now?
0: You know, as you mentioned earlier, I I think that social media and some of these new novel technologies can do a lot of good in the world. And thinking about my own experience when I was going through a health crisis, that social media was one of the only ways that I could stay in touch with other people and to be able to maintain relationships and can also be a great way sometimes of uh, pulling together resources in times of need. Yet at the same time, like what that documentary shows, that there can also be a lot of negative impacts that can come from it. You know, it made me, as I was watching it, kind of think back to my early days in psychology and my psychology 101 class, where we were learned about Pavlov's dog where you're, you know, actually training the the dog to start to salivate anytime it, it heard a certain noise. And in many ways, we're kind of having that done to us with social media, that it's designed in an intentional way to provide A positive reinforcement or to kind of keep us on, right? That a lot of the social media is designed to keep us engaged and they do that really well. And if we're not careful, we can start to go
1: down the rabbit hole, like you said, and suddenly find that we're going into places that maybe aren't healthy for our well being. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I really noticed from the documentary, but even just kind of thinking about social media and the role that it plays in our lives is. Even in the last few weeks, I've noticed since watching it, I've wanted to change certain habits. And I've heard from a lot of people who saying that was really kind of revelatory to me. Um, something we wanted to change some habits in our family. But I've noticed that times when I'm stressed or anxious, especially in this season, I'm naturally drawn to continually check as if something new is kind of that slot machine mentality uh, that they talked a little bit in the documentary is we always feel like we're going to go back and get something new. And these companies understand uh, the kind of the psychology behind a lot of the ways we use social media. And so one of the ways I just wanted to kind of ask you is, Outside of specifically with social media, what role do you see technology playing in the larger landscape of humanitarian disasters and issues throughout the world outside of the COVID-19 pandemic?
0: Well, you know, I think there's some really exciting possibilities ahead. So, for example, I had a conversation just recently with someone from the United Nations that specializes in using AI technology and big data to help inform humanitarian response. And so one of the challenges that has historically kind of plagued our field has been kind of lack of data collection at times, sketchy monitoring evaluation, and and by sketchy just meaning that sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, or maybe it's not well designed. And then also a lot of organizations aren't necessarily reporting their data more broadly. And so that knowledge is kind of only staying in the historical knowledge of that organization, but by engaging and using big data and pulling our data together, we can start to see much more significant trends. You know, just one example of those would be thinking back to the H1N1 outbreak and then now with COVID, like thinking about how on Google Maps at one point where you could see where cases were happening and could almost pinpoint where H1N1 was going to be having the outbreak next based on using kind of this large data set. And so right now, researchers are trying to do that in the humanitarian field, which I think can be exciting. The one thing we have to always be careful, though, is not to forget that behind that data and behind those statistics are stories. And those are real people and real experiences. So we need to make sure that we don't lose our view of humanity
1: when we're looking at things from that such a broad level. But I do think it can be very powerful. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful point. Often we see data or we see statistics and we forget that these are real life human beings just like us, image bearers of God who are struggling or have questions or doubts or fears or anxieties or even joys um, and aspirations in life. And so it's a helpful reminder that often when we see these statistics just to remember that these are real people just like you and I. As we close out our time today, I always like to end on a little bit of a lighter note. Um, but what are some things that you're reading or studying right now that might be challenging you or enjoying in this season?
0: Well, one of the books that I'm reading right now that I'm really enjoying is called Unthinkable. And it's about who survives disasters and why. And so it looks at both social science as well as a lot of other inter- – interdisciplinary uh, perspectives to understand what happens in the human body when we go through an extreme event or how does it impact the meaning that we make when we uh, weather difficult times. It's just been a really fascinating read by a a well-known journalist. So it's been something that I've really enjoyed reading lately. Another thing that I've been reading that I've um, found to be really impactful is a book on Joel Micah by Pryor is the author and looking at some of the historical stories throughout scripture about individuals that have gone through just really overwhelming odds um, to still be used by God during difficult times. And so I've found that to be both challenging as well as encouraging.
1: Well, I really enjoyed our conversation today and really thank you for joining us here on Weekly Tech. I'm grateful for your work and the uh, the work that you're doing there at Wheaton and the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. I encourage listeners, you can check out links to the things that Dr. Aiden has talked about uh, in the show notes. And just want to thank you for the partnership that we've been able to have with the Institute at Wheaton. And thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks so much. Really enjoyed connecting. Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. And as a reminder, you can connect with Dr. Aiden and learn more about his work in the show notes. And as always, you can sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing each Monday morning, which is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day. You can subscribe to it at jasonthacker.com slash Tech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week.